0: This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins, and we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. First reading from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 13. Though Moses didn't deserve it, God called him. These words will also serve as the basis for today's sermon. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out to that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Is his name, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord. What have I done? I can only imagine that that question was on the mind and heart several times, probably several times a day of Moses during his 40-year stint as a shepherd in the desert of Midian. What have I done? As the sun baked down upon him, I can imagine he would have longed for his time in the palace court in Egypt when the servants would take their big feathered fans and wave at him so that he could stay cool even in the heat of the day, as his feet caked and calloused there in the grit and grime of the desert floor. I'm sure he longed for the spa treatments and pampering that surely were a part of everyday life, living in the same house as the pharaoh. What have I done? Perhaps you know what Moses did. It's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 2. Those are the words that lead immediately into our first reading from Exodus chapter 3. They highlight what it is that Moses did to lose all of that comfort, all of that luxury. Moses one day left the house Pharaoh and went out into the place where his countrymen, the, the Israelites, were working. They were working as slaves to the oppressing Egyptians. Moses saw a particular Egyptian slave driver who was being particularly oppressive to an Israelite, and he allowed that anger to begin to burn within him. He approached closer to get a better look to get a greater assessment of what was truly happening and in the process that rage boiled over. With a quick glance to his left and to his right he murdered that Egyptian in cold blood and then buried him in the sand. But his plan didn't work. He had hoped that maybe no one would see, no one would notice, but people saw. The Israelites saw, and soon word trickled in to the Egyptians. And before too long, Pharaoh learned of this act of treason and was in hot pursuit of Moses. And just like that, he lost it all. Couldn't go back to the palace any longer. He couldn't stay amongst his people, the Israelites, any any longer. He had to flee the country out into the desert. But God was behind it all. In a lot of ways, the life that Moses was living was now the polar opposite of what he had been living, but God was behind it all. In a way that our God, only our God, can do, he used even Moses' faults, failures, and sins to achieve his purposes. He crafted and molded and groomed Moses to be the one that God wanted him to be. And then he led him to the place where he would have this encounter with him so that he could call Moses into public ministry. That's our first reading from Exodus chapter 3. As those words begin, we find Moses being a typical guy, distracted by, intrigued by fire. But I guess we can give Moses a pass because what he saw would have sparked the intrigue and interest of anyone. A bush that was on fire, but not burning up. Certainly something miraculous was happening. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. In a mighty and memorable way, God said to Moses, Nice to meet you again, Moses. I knew your fathers in a special way, and soon I'll know you that way as well. I've not forgotten you, and I've not forgotten your people. In fact, first and foremost, they are my people. I know their oppression. I see their misery, and I'm going to do something about it. In fact, you're going to do something about it. Pharaoh is a mighty and powerful ruler, but I am stronger, and I'm going to use you to prove it. I'm sending you, Moses, to set my people free. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And in some respects, that's the perfect question to ask. Who am I? Moses was right to ask the question. He tried to hide his murder from the Israelites and from the Egyptians, and he failed in both directions. And even had he succeeded in that plan, nothing he could have done could have hidden that sin from God. Moses was right to take off his sandals and to cover his face because God is holy and Moses was not far from it. Who was he? And God had something greater in store for Moses than just standing in his presence. God had planned for Moses to to stand in God's place, to be his mouthpiece, to serve his people directly on his behalf. Who was Moses to have that task? What was God thinking? In our second reading, the Apostle Paul asks the same question Who am I? Who am I to have this privilege of gospel ministry? I'm the last one on earth that should be given this privilege. I'm the chief sinner. In the gospel, Matthew asks the question Matthew was a traitor and a thief, and a tax collector. Matthew was a person that the rest of his Israelite countrymen would have walked right past, and no one would have blamed Jesus if he would have done the same, but Jesus didn't walk past. He stopped, and he loved, and he called. Jesus called Matthew and Paul, and God called Moses. Sinners they were. And my grace friends, you're listening to a gospel minister who can and does ask the question often, who am I? Who am I to stand in God's presence? Who am I to stand in God's place, to be his mouthpiece, to proclaim his saving message to a people who need to hear it and hear it again, who need to be reminded day after day, who need to be comforted by the truths of the gospel and showered with the love of Jesus. Who am I? God, what are you thinking? Surely there's someone better who could stand in this place. Surely you could find someone who would do better, who would be more gifted, who would be more patient, who would have a purer heart. What are you thinking? But that's precisely the point. God calls sinners to follow him. God calls sinners to believe in him, to have faith in their hearts. And then God calls some of those sinners, and he uses sinners to call them into representative ministry. Called workers, pastors, teachers, staff, ministers and missionaries to serve God's people, to serve God's communities on their behalf. But it's not about who they are. It's about who God is. If you keep reading in the book of Exodus through our lesson on into chapters 3 and chapters 4, you'll see that Moses asks more questions. And it kind of exposes the fact that Moses' is who am I question is a bit more than godly humility. He asks, what if people ask me your name? What should I say? And then he asks, what if they don't believe in you? And then he switches from questions into statements as if God didn't know exactly who Moses was. He says, God, I'm not so good with words. I'm not very eloquent. And then he just brashly and bluntly lays it on the table. God, you should call someone else. But God didn't want someone else. God wanted Moses. Moses was the one that had the experience. Moses was the one that God had gifted to carry out the tasks that were before him. Moses was the one that God had groomed and gifted to be able to carry out this special task. God wanted Moses. That's why God called Moses. And that's why God calls you. Because you are just the right one to carry out gospel ministry in your life, in your circle of influence. You are just the right person to be a friend to that person in your life who is hurting. You are just the right person to lend a helping hand to the one who needs it. You're just the right person to shine the light of the gospel into the life of someone that you know is in a dark place. You're just the right person to share a simple message of sins forgiven through Jesus. Christ has shown his mercy to you and now you're just the right person to show that mercy to someone else. That's why God called you. I love it. I love it when this happens. Don't stop doing this. Don't stop inviting your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors to come and sit in the pew with you to hear the gospel of Jesus here at Grace. Don't stop inviting them. Don't stop introducing them to me and giving me the opportunity to minister to your friends directly. But it doesn't have to be only that way because God calls you. God calls you into gospel ministry. God calls you to leverage the relationships that you have for the good of the kingdom and for the salvation of souls. God has equipped, he's groomed, and gifted you to do just that. But Lord, what if they have questions that I don't have the answers to? Lord, what if they don't believe? What if I... I speak and it falls on deaf ears. What if they're confused because the words that I speak are, are confusing and I don't do a good job of of presenting Lord, maybe you should call someone else. How often aren't Moses excuses the very excuses that we offer our God? Too often, the who am I that is on our lips is not the godly humility, but rather it's reluctance, doubt, and fear. The fiery presence of God, it didn't consume that bush that day, but it ought to consume us in the face of our sin It ought to consume us when we stubbornly reject God's call, when we defiantly keep the gospel to ourselves and refuse to take it to those in our lives. We deserve to be consumed by God's wrath and anger. We deserve to have the thunderbolts of his wrath come down upon us. But instead he comes to us in a whisper. He comes to us with gentleness and love. He comes not with a stern proclamation of judgment, but rather he comes with a question, a familiar question. He turns our very question on its head and throws it right back at us. He asks us, to consider who am I? You see, a gospel minister needs not consider who they are, but who God is. It's not about the one that receives the call, but it's about the one who is doing the calling. And that makes all the difference in the world. Who is God? He is the God who chose us before the creation of the world. He is the one who is rich in grace and mercy. He is the one who is our substitute. He is the one who came to earth, who took our place, who bled for us and died. He is the one who would stop at nothing to have us as his forever. He is the one who gave up everything so that we could be with him he is the one who adopted us into his family and calls us children of the heavenly father. He is the almighty creator of heaven and earth and who has used that power not to squash us, but to lift us up, to destroy our enemies and to share with us a victory that he has won by his grace. That is the one who calls us. Listen to God's response to Moses' protest. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. When God is the one who is calling, God's people are never alone. This is true for called workers, for pastors and teachers, staff, ministers, and missionaries. When God is the one who is calling, his workers are never alone. And that same is true for all of God's people. Though your call and mine are different, we are joined together in this gospel ministry side by side and arm in arm, and we have the assurance that we are never alone. We join each other, working together to share the gospel of Jesus with our community and with our world. And as great as it is to not be working solo, to have brothers and sisters in the faith that are sharing that common goal, that are rolling up their sleeves and carrying out the task of gospel ministry, that's not even the best part. The best part is that for you and for me, it's true. The words that God uses to comfort Moses, they're true for us as well. We are never alone because God tells us, "I will be with you." Gospel ministry hinges on the reputation of our God. It's not about the sordid path of a gospel minister. It's not about how broken and cracked is the clay pot into which God chooses to place the treasure of the gospel. It's not about the minister's power to win friends and influence people. No, it's about our God. It's about his reputation of being a God of free and faithful saving grace. It's about his reputation of being a God who loves and forgives and saves. It's about our God who reaches out to the world in his mercy and calls undeserving sinners to his side. It's about our God who is a Savior God, who has paid the price so that heaven could be open for us. He is the one who calls us. He is the one who makes us gospel ministers. Moses does get around eventually to asking God who he is. And listen to his response. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. When someone asks you, who are you? The answer that you give probably has something to do with a relationship. You might find a a common denominator person, someone that that stranger might know, and how you're connected. I'm so and so's child, I'm so and so's parent. I'm siblings with him or with her. You might answer the question, who are you with what is your occupation? I'm an engineer. That's who I am. You might share your employer. I work for Harley Davidson. That's my identity. But when the question is asked of God, it's entirely different. You see, our God finds his essence and his being and his identity separate from his connection to anyone else. None of those things lean on us. None of those things lean on anyone else. God is wholly independent. He is in a league of his own, and though he is in a league of his own, he sees fit to come to us. He sees fit to interact with us. Sinners, though we may be, he sees fit to wash us clean and call us into his league and onto his team. He paid a steep price so that we could be his forever. What a blessing it is to be called by a God like that. I am, is the Father, is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Sinners, though they were, they were men upon whom God bestowed his mercy and grace. They are those that God planted faith into their hearts, faith that looked forward to the fulfillment of a promise, a fulfillment that they only saw in the distance through the eyes of faith. Yet God used them, and he used their family to produce the fulfillment of that promise in the person of his son, Jesus. Through them, through their family, God worked salvation for the world, for you and for me. God made promises to them and he kept his promises. And that God who is faithful to them, he's faithful to us. And it's in those promises that we live. It's in those promises that we can serve him and those around us. It's in those promises that we can conduct a gospel ministry in God's guidance and in his blessing. God will be with us every step of our lives until we take our last step here on this sphere which then leads into our first step into the heavenly mansion that God has prepared for us. Who am I? Who are you? We are people who are immensely blessed. Immensely blessed to be known by God and to know him as our Savior and King. We are immensely blessed to be children of a Heavenly Father and heirs of everlasting life. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.